Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Intentional Living series, which talks about approaching every day with purpose. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Well, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning, and we're coming right back in into our series, Intentional Living, and a series designed to help us live out Christianity on a daily basis by, um, by helping us understand some of the principles of God's Word and how they apply to us each and every day. I've stated this often that, you know, sometimes in the week, um, we can maybe know a Bible principle, but we don't know how it relates to us personally. We can maybe know that God is interested in us having correct speech through the week. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So we know the principle God wants and is concerned that I would speak correctly, but how do I do that? What does it look like to let your speech be always seasoned with grace? Uh, and what, is, what does that verse mean for me? And so what we've been doing is we've been taking principles like that and figuring out how do we flesh this out? How do we make this applicable to me this coming week? If you've been through our series, we've learned already about growing in the Lord. Peter said to add to your faith. And so how do I grow in the Lord? Well, that comes with a day in and day out personal relationship with communication on my part, which is prayer to God, and his communication to me, which is the word of God. And so we talked about how we make that instrumental in our daily life. We looked a few weeks ago at stewarding our time and our finances and understanding that God has so many principles in the word of God about stewardship. We talked a few weeks ago about being an encourager. Man, we know people around us need encouragement, but we looked in that message, how do I do it? How do I look for ways to be an encouragement? And then last week, or most recently, we spent time learning about intentional prayer and taking that growth level to a little bit uh, further and understanding that God wants us not to just have the the mealtime prayer statements of God bless me, God help this, but God wants us to spend time with him each and every day, getting uh, before him and communicating with him. And we talked about having effective prayer life with God. Well, this morning, as we continue learning about intentional living in in the Christian life, I want to start by asking you if if maybe you're like me and you have parents that taught you uh, that you don't quit. Do you have parents that taught you that? You know, just don't quit. We just keep going. Don't quit. Uh, I can think about playing an instrument or playing sports growing up, and my folks would often uh, try to teach me, uh, Dennis, don't quit. Don't quit at things. Just pursue and continue it. I remember specifically basketball, sixth grade, basketball, sixth grade, and uh, I I was no longer on a city league team, Uh, the city league team, you know, where you uh, got to practice twice or three times a week and not much was required of you. Now in sixth grade, I was on the junior high team at the Christian school I went to, and I know this is hard to believe. Uh, but Brother Dan, Dan and I, we were on the same basketball team, I think fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, maybe eighth grade, I don't remember. Um, and this would be very hard to believe, but he was taller than me. He was taller than me until eighth grade. That's when I surpassed him. But um, in sixth grade, I, uh, as a sixth grade basketball player, I found out you practice every day. You run things called suicides. There's a reason they call it that, and it's just continuous running. And uh, so, number one, you practice all the time, so that took me away from, you know, my family and my dog and television, and so I didn't want to practice. And then uh, running, that's the number one thing that I hate uh, is running. I don't like running. You think I don't like spiders or snakes. Running, I think, is at the top of that list. Uh, No, I'm just teasing, but I, I, I didn't want to run. I didn't want to do practice. And then, in all honesty, I wasn't very good. I wasn't very good. It was kind of the awkward stage. I wasn't like uh, Daniel Blim, and uh, he was a a great ball player. I I wasn't very good. I didn't have a very good relationship with my coach. I didn't really like the coach. Uh, He was not my most favorite person. And so I remember coming home after the first few weeks of practice, like, Dad, I don't want to play basketball anymore. Like, I want to be done playing basketball. And I don't remember exactly what my dad said, but I can remember going through that basketball season wanting to quit quite often and my dad coming to me and saying, no, 
You're not going to quit. You signed up. We're going to stick this through. Unless you break a leg, you're not quitting. Man, there's the tough decision. But I remember my parents kind of instilling that principle into me. And your parents might have done the same thing. That you know what? There's never a good time to quit. There's no, there's no really good kind of quitter. But this morning, I found something to contradict that. I get to prove my dad wrong. Because today, we're going to talk about the good kind of quitter. There is something in the Word of God that God wants you to quit. He wants you to stop doing it. I'm just teasing about contradicting my dad because he taught me this principle too. So we're gonna understand some thoughts today about the good kind of quitter. We find it in Luke chapter number one. So stand with me, if you will, Luke chapter one this morning. And we're going to read, and you can use the Bible there in front of you, or uh, of course the verses will be up on the screen. Luke chapter one, beginning in verse number 26, all right? Luke chapter one, verse number 26, the Bible says this, where God says, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Notice verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. I love that verse. You know, that's a principle taught all throughout Scripture, with God nothing shall be impossible. But I want you to notice verse number 38 I want you to see Mary's response in all of this. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I know this story is a familiar story. We know probably some thoughts about Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know some things about her from Scripture. But the one thing that I want to help us with this morning that we're going to learn from Mary is this idea that God is interested in us quitting wrestle matches with Him. God wants us to quit trying to do our own thing. This morning we're going to come and we're talking again the series Intentional Living Today, we're going to talk about the subject of intentionally surrendering, being intentionally surrendered to God each and every day, having the mindset that, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. God, if it's witness to a coworker, I'll do it. God, if it's take a step and begin giving, I'll do it. God, if it's reading the Word of God or being a better husband or a better spouse, whatever the case might be, God, whatever you ask, I surrender. So today we're going to, again, look at this familiar story and learn some thoughts about intentional surrender. Let's pray, and then we'll discover these thoughts together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just take a moment, and would you ask the Lord to just speak to you? You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to my heart today. And then would you make a decision that, God, as you speak to me, I'm listening. I'm going to respond to you.
Dear Lord, thank you for the word of God. We pray that you would help us today to understand it. I pray that you would apply it to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that your word is relevant for our day right now and for our coming week and this season. And Lord, that we would, as we look at this topic of intentional surrender, I pray that you'd help us to make up, a, make up our mind that this week we're going to be surrendered to you in every avenue of life. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we talk about intentional surrender this morning, I want to come to the passage. I want to notice some thoughts. First of all, I want us to see an agenda. I want us to see an agenda or a plan. As you come to uh, this passage, we need to know and kind of understand what's going on. Of course, Israel at this time would be under Roman rule and their control. When you look at Nazareth, Nazareth would really be just kind of a one uh, mule town on the north side of the nation of Israel. You can kind of see it there, uh, just right by the Sea of Galilee, just to the, uh, the west of, southwest of the Sea of Galilee. You can see Nazareth there, and this would be really a, not a one-horse town, a one-mule town. And uh, really, Nazareth was known just for a, a Roman garrison that was there. If I can show you, Nazareth has changed quite a bit. Of course, we were in Nazareth just a few weeks ago, and this is what Nazareth would be now, uh, really a larger city that's densely populated. But at the time of Mary, uh, the city wasn't really well known. Uh, you'll remember that when Jesus got older, it was Nathaniel asked the question, can any good thing come of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Everybody looked down on Nazareth. It was kind of the other side of the track, so to speak. It was really a poor area. It wasn't a populated area. It was kind of a despised area. And that's where we find this young girl, Mary. Now, when you look at Mary, here she is, and a lot of people like to depict her as maybe an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old. But we need to know Bible times that Mary would probably be somewhere from 14 to 16 years old in our passage. So let's just dive right in the middle and say 15. So here's this 15 year old young lady. The Bible doesn't tell us much about her except that she's espoused to a man by the name of Joseph. We know that Joseph would be a carpenter. Now, here's a quick question. Even if this was a betrothed wedding, even if this was one that Mary was committed because of family ties to Joseph, I believe by after having discovered or after having researched the life of Mary and the life of Joseph, I believe that these two were actually in love. I believe that. I think that when you look at who they were and you look at uh, some things that were written about them by Luke and some things by Matthew about Joseph being an upright man and one that uh, feared God and different things, I believe that this was a young couple, that they were in love, they knew that God had brought them together, and even at 15 years old, I think Mary had some plans. Don't you think she had some plans? Man, those of you that have ever planned out a wedding, you have some plans. You know what? You, you plan out some things and you begin to not just see your wedding, but you begin to look to the future. I remember us planning our wedding and looking not only to the wedding, but looking to the future, looking at where are we going to live? What are we going to do? And I know that there's young ladies that they just have some of their plans and maybe what you're going to wear on your wedding day and then how many children you want to have. And there's just some plans that people have. I think Joseph probably had some plans. Man, in this day and age, I think in that time, I think Joseph had the plan of becoming not only a good husband, but I think he had the plan of starting his own business, becoming a carpenter that was well-known in the community, becoming one that would be called to go work on uh, uh, maybe some of the Romans' uh, um, houses and different things and be paid and kind of be able to have his plans. And let me just tell you this morning that there's nothing wrong with making plans, there's nothing wrong with it. Actually, uh, we need to know that everyone makes plans. Everybody plans things out. And when you look in Scripture, the Bible even has much to say about, about plans and everybody having their plans. And the Bible says that when you plan things out, that's just good stewardship. That's good management to look to the future and plan things out. And so here's Mary and Joseph. They have an agenda. They kind of have their plans, their uh, way of living. They have uh, things that they're expected to do, things that they're going to expect to do. And man, everybody has plans. I think about my kids. They have plans. I remember and I love hearing our kids talk about their plans and sometimes we'll sit around and, and we'll talk about the future. And the kids, they'll talk about their future plans of what they wanna do when they get older, maybe where they wanna live. And I remember a few years ago, we were having this discussion 
And Micah, I believe he was probably about four or five years old, and we were talking about the future, what you want to do when you grow up and what you want to be. And Micah was sitting there, and, and Micah, he's a, he's a thinker. Uh, you can tell when he's just thinking, and he analyzes everything. And he was just sitting there, and you could tell that, I mean, it was, you know, the, the hamster was just running, and it was going. And um, Micah was there, and he just you know, mom, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I, I know. Well, what do you want to be, Micah? You know, I like, I like what dad does. I, I think it'd be cool to be a pastor. But you know what, mom? I, I also like what brother Micah does. I think it'd be cool to be a music pastor. And his name's Micah Daniel, and my name's Micah Daniel, Maybe I'll be a music pastor like Micah. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to be a pastor or a music pastor. But there's something else I want to do. Oh, yeah, what do you want to do, four-year-old Micah? What do you want to do? I think I also, I'm going to be Spider-Man. <laughs> Dead serious, I'm going to be Spider-Man. And I said, so how's that going to work? He was like, well, you know, you know, like the good guys and superheroes, like they do their thing at night. So I'll be a music pastor during the day and then I'll be Spider-Man at night. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. And he proceeded to go and I think put on his Spider-Man suit and show us exactly what he's going to do. You know what? Here you have a four-year-old and there's some seriousness there, right? I mean, every four or five-year-old, they look at Spider-Man. I really want to do that. Micah, he's 26 years old and he still wants to be Batman. He's got the costume and everything, you know? Uh, but you know what? I'm just saying that everyone makes plans and there's nothing wrong with making plans. And that's Mary and Joseph in this story, a young woman who's espoused or uh, engaged to a young man. And here they have their whole life ahead of them, even as just a young couple. And I see that as they're going through life with this normal uh, plan and their normal uh, agenda, I see an assignment being given. You see, first of all, we find their agenda, but secondly, we see an assignment. That's the story that we come to in verse 28 down through verse number 38. The story is Mary there, and you have her, this young lady with her plans, and all of a sudden, Gabriel appears. An angel of God appears with a message for her. We saw Gabriel last week give another message about another birth, the birth of John the Baptist to Zacharias and to Elizabeth. Zacharias, a very well-known and astute priest. And now you have Mary, a, a commoner, a peasant, someone who people don't know. Can I just give you a side thought this morning? Isn't it awesome that God's word speaks to everybody? You see, we don't have angels that speak to us now. No, we use God's word. And I love this simple truth that God had a message for the people of notoriety. He had a message for the Zachariases of the world, but he also has a message for the Marys of the world. Man, that's a good thing to know. That's a good thing that God doesn't see a lot of the things that we see. God doesn't see status. God doesn't see financial level. God doesn't see race. God doesn't see uh, 401ks. God doesn't see savings. God... You know what he sees? He just sees a soul. He sees someone who he loves and has a wants to have a relationship with. And as I come to the passage and I see the angel appearing to, to Mary, I don't want to miss. He appeared to Zacharias, the known, but he also appears to the commoner. I'm thankful today that God desires for his word to speak to each and every one of us. And hopefully that would be something that would encourage you this morning, knowing that God loves you where you're at. He loves exactly uh, every, he, he loves your heart and he has a desire to walk with you and have a relationship with you regardless of who you are, where you came from, what your background is. Anything that would affect most people's judgment doesn't even phase God's. I just want to remind you of that this morning. So this angel comes and appears to Mary. And the angel gives to Mary, of course, uh, famous words. In verse number 28, the angel said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. After hearing this, verse 29 tells us that she questioned within herself. She cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Her, her thought was, why, why did he ask? Why did he say that? Why did the angel call me highly favored? 
favored? Why did the angel say that uh, the Lord is with thee? I mean, what does he know that I don't know? And then the angel proceeded to kind of give her this assignment or these thoughts. Notice what he says in verse number 30, where he comes and the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive and in thy womb and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of the his kingdom, there shall be no end. So here's what happened is God comes, Gabriel, or excuse me, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, Mary, listen, God has some specific plans with you. Mary, you've got this plan to get married, but there's an assignment from God. God has something. He's got something bigger than you that he wants to accomplish in you and through you. Mary, God's gonna put inside of you his son. You're gonna have a child. You're gonna have a child, Mary. Well, there's a problem with this. Mary's problem, verse number 34. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, I'm not going to expound on all of this, but she's saying, hey, I've never had a physical relationship. Mom and dad taught me about the birds and the bees. That's supposed to be there if you're gonna have a baby. And the angel says to her, hey, the last phrase, with God, nothing shall be impossible. But listen, and, and don't miss it. And there's so many little side thoughts I want to give you today. Um, I love in this story how the angel proceeds to tell her, you can just trust in God right now. Because verse 35 and 36, uh, if you look, the angel just, he kind of tells her, or excuse, mainly verse 35, he, Gabriel tells her, listen, God's power is going to do this in you. God is not asking you to do something on your own. God is going to do this in you. God is going to do this with you. What a great reminder. Mary, God has plans with you. God has plans with you, but you're not gonna do it alone. He's going to do it in you. He's going to work in you. He's going to do the miracle. I want you to think with me just very quickly of what was being asked of Mary and Joseph. We, um, we like to just read through the Christmas story. In our family, we do that every year. Come Christmas Day, we'll read through the entire Christmas story together and try to talk about it through the, through the holidays and through the Christmas season. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard the Christmas story and you know it and, and maybe are very familiar with it. But I think sometimes we miss what is being asked of Mary and Joseph. A few years ago, I was studying this out and it began to dawn on me of some things that they're being asked to do. I see in this passage that they're being asked not only to just have this child, but if you think about it, they're being asked to be the parents of God's son. Hey, um, Mary, Joseph, God who created everything. Jehovah, Yahweh, who you worship and have heard about, and you have heard about the miracles, you've heard about the Red Sea, and we have to know they knew all of Jewish history, so they knew the God of the Bible. Listen, he who is your rock, he who is the one that you turn to, the one who gave you breath to breathe, he wants you to raise his child. And you talk about pressure. Fast forward a few years when Jesus is 12 and they're on a journey leaving from Jerusalem and Joseph thought that Jesus was with Mary and Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph and then they realize he's missing. What do you tell God? Think about it. This is the responsibility that they're being asked to, to, to do. You're gonna, you're gonna raise God's son. What do I do when I'm, what do, I'm, at this time, maybe they're thinking, what do we do when, we, when he misbehaves? Can you ground God's son? Now, good thing he never misbehaved. 
Good thing we know the Bible says that he was perfect and he never knew sin. And he who was sin, or uh, we who are sin, he put our sin upon him on the cross. And he who knew no sin became sin for us on that cross. And having our sin put to him, we have to just understand that uh, just put yourself in their mind. They're asking maybe some of these questions. We have to raise God's son. This is huge. This is bigger than just, hey, you're going to have a baby and just let him grow up and work some miracles. We kind of look at it, you know, with the eagle's eye view. We kind of look at it and just see the whole thing. They're not seeing the eagle's eye view. They're the little mouse running in the field thinking, what in the world? How is this going to take place? How are we going to do this? They're being asked to be the parents of God's son. Secondly, they're being asked to be the parents of the Messiah. We we don't have time, but through all of the verses that we read here, Gabriel is telling them uh, in in very clear thoughts to them as Jews, uh, listen, I'm giving you the Messiah. God is God's son. He's the one who has come to redeem his people and he's gonna be great and he's gonna be the ruler and he is going to be the one that rescues the people from their sin. And later on, we know that uh, um, uh, those in the temple, uh, um, Eliz- or Anna and Simeon, uh, they c- proclaim the prophecies to Mary about Jesus being the redeemer of all the people and those things. And we have to know that as Mary and Joseph are looking at this, it's very clear to them, though we don't read in the pages, he is the Messiah, because of prophecy, they would know. They knew this is Messiah. So now you're being asked to raise the one who everyone is going to turn to. We, we like to have people over and, and we try to do that in our home, but having kids, we just moved into this new house, we've already come to grips with the fact that there's gonna be a ton of kids in our house. There sometimes are kids running around our house and I've never even met them before. <laughs> a, few, a few months ago, we were doing some work at the house and some little kid runs right by me and, and I was downstairs doing some work and, and he just runs by, he stopped and he's like, who are you? <laughs> Who am I? Who are you, man? I've never seen you before, you know? It's like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm Joe. I live, you know, three doors down. Well, I'd, okay, nice to meet you, Joe. You want to help me? Nope, I'm going to go play, you know, or whatever. Man, I'm all about entertaining people. But can you imagine the mindset of the, we're going to be raising the Messiah? Who's going to want to hang out with the Messiah? Everybody. And you say, well, pastor, he didn't establish himself. Right, we're pre all of that. They're not reading the rest of Luke and Mark and Matthew. They're living this out. They're thinking God's son, okay, responsibility. Messiah, okay, popularity. Man, there's a lot that you're asking of this. Raising God's son, raising the Messiah. But then the angel proceeds to tell him, you're gonna be raising the king of kings. You literally are going to be raising God in the flesh. Jesus was 100% God and yet 100% man. He left heaven and became man, but he never left his deity to become man. He was all God and all man. So now they're not only raising God's son, they're raising God in the flesh. I just want us to understand that all of these thoughts are going through their mind. I mean, you think about what's said in Luke 1, 31 and 30, or 32 and 33. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. But then if you read the last part, it says, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. They were not just being asked to be the adoptive parents of, of some stranger's children. No, they were being asked, you are going to raise the very son of God, God in the flesh, the Messiah who is sent to redeem us. That's who we're asking you to raise. And that's pretty big. That's a pretty big assignment. What an incredible responsibility and request being given to this young couple. I mean, here he is telling them, God's got a plan for you. He knows that you have some of your own plans, but he has something specifically designed for you. He wants you to raise his child. Before we move on, can I just tell you this morning that our passage clearly lays out for us the plans that God had for Mary, and nowhere in here do we find some of the things that people attribute to Mary? Let me show you this. Nowhere in here do we find that God's plan to Mary is that people would pray to her. 
There's no prayer to Mary in this at all. Not there. That was actually started in 1495 by an Italian priest who wrote that prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, that many people grow up quoting. When a person prays to Mary, the Bible says they're actually going against Scripture. John 14, 13, and 14 says that you pray in the name of Jesus. All right, so God's plan was not that people would pray to Mary. Can I tell you that God's plan was not that Mary would have some perpetual virginity that people like to teach, that Mary was a perpetual virgin? Uh, That was something that was created in 649. The Bible actually says about Mary that she had other children. So that eliminates that thought, the Bible does. And we find nowhere in there, there's there's no plan written about that Mary is co-redeemer. There's no redemption through Mary. There's belief systems and things out there that teach that you need to believe in Jesus, but also there has to be some sort of faith put into Mary. This was created in 1090, that Mary would be called the gate of heaven, that no one enters to Jesus without going first through Mary, thus praying, for, praying to Mary 400 years later would come because how can I get to Jesus without praying through Mary? Now, John 14, 6, Jesus uh, shot that one down when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, we just need to understand that there are some things in Scripture very clearly lined out, and these three are none of them. And I bring that up because there's teaching out there that will tell you these three three things are important. Listen, uh, and you'll hear me say it often, go back to the Bible. Always go back to Scripture. Pastor, what should we do? What's the Bible say? Hey, I've heard this thought. What's the Bible say? Hey, I think that, what's the Bible say? What's the Word of God say? What does God say about this? This is His mind written to us. So here is this uh, uh, plan for Mary, and what's the plan? Hey, God's going to use you to raise his son. I want to use you to raise my son. You think about this, Gabriel being clear about what the plan was. I want us to understand that now they have some decisions to face. The decision is, what are we going to do with this? Here's something God's asking us to do. What do we do? We have our plans, we have our agenda, now we have this assignment from God. But I want you to notice lastly with me this morning that we see an attitude. We see an attitude in Mary to help us understand that Mary had a very, while you and I would look at it and say this is a very tough decision, I believe that to Mary it was a very quick decision. And here's what I want you to see in verse number 38. Notice what it says. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. That right there is surrender. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. This is a pretty clear decision for Mary. She had already made up in her mind that she belonged to Jehovah God. She had already made up in her mind that she would follow him no matter the cost. And the the previous verses to this help us understand that Mary was a young lady that walked with God. I mean, you can read and find out from scripture some characteristics of Mary. She was pure. She hadn't known a man. Mary was a pure young lady. She kept her purity uh, because of her love for the Lord. And can I just tell you that her purity is is very important. Uh, The Bible says in the book of of Leviticus, that the blood, the life is found in the blood. And so her, uh, the DNA and the blood that would come from the father is very important to know that it was not human given. It was God. It was God in the, uh, it was God putting that within her. And so the virgin birth of Christ, the virginity of Mary is a big deal in protecting the deity of who Jesus is. And you need to understand, uh, this is one of the reasons I love the King James Bible because it says virgin and other, ver- other, other, uh, 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 translations of scripture, they will simply say she was a young woman or she was just a simple young girl. No, she was a virgin. This was a miraculous birth done by God to show his people fulfillment of prophecy. He said in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we can know from scripture some principles, some characteristics about Mary that help us 
see she loved God, number one, she was pure. She was concerned about her purity. Man, I wonder what would happen if some more people were concerned about purity nowadays. You can go and you can do the research, and we won't uh, get into all the statistics for time's sake, but you can find uh, different research, Pew Research Company or, or uh, um, uh, Barnes Research and different things like that of statistics of uh, pregnancy and expectancy outside of marriage. Can I just simply tell you, and again, I would not say this to pick on anybody uh, or to say anything, but God is very interested in the home being the way he set it up. God is very interested in that. God very clearly helps us understand that he wants the home to be a father and a mother that are married together for life. Now, can I just give you something? Some of you in here, you've been through uh, uh, maybe a past situations that you would look at and say, well, that wasn't biblical or that's not biblical or pastor, I might have a divorce in my past. We're not talking about the past this morning. No, we're talking about the future. Man, all of us could say there's things in our past. But don't you tell your kids, well, don't stay in the past. <laughs> you know, little Johnny, you know, he does something. And he, hey, don't worry about what they said to you last week. You just go this week and you try to teach him about that. Sometimes I feel like the Lord wants to do that with us. <laughs> hey, quit living in the past. Let's look to the future. And so you and I need to understand that God is interested in this. And Mary, she was pure. She was pure. I see another characteristic of Mary. I see that she was humble. I love this thought about Mary. Uh, And man, I wish we could do it, but we read in verse 28 that the Lord says to her, Gabriel says that she's highly favored. Uh, That word highly favored, it means that she had found much grace in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 30, it says that she, or verse 29, it says that she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. That was, a, that was a humble thought. It wasn't like, oh, well, it's about time God recognized me. I was wondering when he was gonna look and see how great I am. It was like, why in the world would God say this about me? I mean, what in the world? The phrase uh, cast in her mind, it means to calculate in her mind, to try to rationalize or figure out. And you've got, we gotta know that when it says that She was highly favored, or God's grace was upon her. When we read about her humility in verse 29, here's what God said, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. That highly favoring belongs to the humble. And she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. This is us just seeing uh, humility was her response to the angel. So here we have, she's pure, she's humble, but then notice also, I love it. The Lord was with her. What a thought. Man, what a testimony. I don't know about you, but I want people to look at Pastor Dennis and say, oh, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he's a hard worker. Yeah, he, he's a good husband. Yes, he's a good dad. I like people, people to be able to see, you know what, he's a good pat, tries to be a, but what a compliment for someone to say, man, the Lord's with them. Man, God's all over them. This is what the angel said to her. Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Hey, it is apparent, it is clear that God is in your life. Quick side thought, what do people say about you? Are you known for just being a good worker? Are you known for just being, having high character? Are you known for being kind? Are you known for being a bad businessman? Are you known for being dishonest? Are you known for being a parent who doesn't keep their word? What are you known for? Or maybe do people look at you and say, man, they, they're one of those Christians. Man, they've got God with them. What a testimony. God was with her. I see all of those things. When you add them up, it helps me to understand that in Mary's life, this was not an in-the-moment decision. Verse 38 was not just a whim decision. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, that's, yeah, I sign up for that. It wasn't that. No, Mary had a premeditated decision. She had thought about this before. Who do I belong to? She didn't know what God was gonna ask her, but listen, here's what Mary's life was filled with. It was filled with complete surrender. It was not in the moment. 
I believe that Mary at some point in her life realized I belong to God and whatever he asks me, I'm going to do. Whatever God gives to me, I'm going to do. Listen, this morning, intentional surrender is not an in-the-moment decision. You decide every morning, and really you decide uh, every moment throughout the day who you belong to. You decide if you're going to be surrendered to God in every situation. The Bible says that we should make plans, but be sure to give God permission to alter your plans. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. (coughs) Excuse me. James is simply saying, hey, listen, it's good to make plans. But when you're making your plans, you need to be able to say, God, you have permission to alter this. God, I've got my plans and I've got my agenda. But Lord, I'm willing to follow your assignment, whatever it is. Now, let me just help you out and help us out this morning. God is not going to come to you in in a dream and ask you to do something. That is not going to happen. That's called extra biblical revelation. And the book of Revelation teaches that that is not going to take place anymore. Once God's word was completed and the last apostle died, that's when God's word was settled. And so now we have God's word to speak to us. And so here's what I want us to understand is this morning, I'm not talking about being surrendered for this major decision of raising God's son. I'm talking about just being surrendered in the small little areas of life that God speaks to you about. Hey, I want you to shape up as a husband. Man, you've been so concerned with you. God, through his word, might come to a, uh, through a message, maybe at the men's retreat, men, or maybe here at church, or maybe in your own personal devotions, and God comes to you and says, hey, listen, I want you to start treating your family with a little more respect. Question, are you surrendered to do that? Ladies, God might come to you and say, you know what, I want you to start, start caring Start actually caring about your family. Start caring about investing Christ into your children. Are you surrendered to do it? Maybe God might come and say, listen, I just want you to tell people about me. Are you willing to do it? Listen, I want you to begin by faith giving to missions. Are you you willing to do it? I want you by faith to take this step and actually start getting in the word every day. Are you willing to do it? I want you to... Let's just kind of begin to to work on how our testimony and how we're viewed out in public so that people can know I'm a Christian. Why don't you start changing some of the things you do or some of the things you talk about? Are we willing to do that? Those are the areas of surrender I'm talking about this morning because I believe that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then there are times in your life when God speaks to you and I about specific things that we know God wants us to do, and yet we do this. Yeah, God, you can have every area. Oh, no, not that one. Yeah, I'm totally surrendered to God. No, 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 I'm not. Yeah, there's, except for there. God, I open everything up. Oh, that pocket? No, there's nothing there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about there. And we have this mindset of, God, I give you everything except for. That's not intentional surrender. Intentional surrender says, God, I'm willing to yield to you no matter what. I want to help us with this. How do we have intentional surrender? I see two very simple things in Mary's life that would be good for us to understand that intentional surrender requires of us. I want you to see them with me very quickly. Number one, if we're going to intentionally surrender, we must first have a willingness to obey. Watch verse 38. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. There's the surrender. Notice the second part. Be it unto me. You know what she is saying? I'm I'm gonna be obedient. Be it unto me. God, you can give me exactly what you want. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to follow. Willingness to obey is key to intentional surrender. And all too often, there are Christians that we say, God, I give you everything, but then when God asks us to take steps of faith, we hold back. And if we're gonna have intentional surrender, we must have a willingness to obey, but secondly, we must have a willingness to trust. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me, I'm willing to obey according to thy word. Willingness to trust. 
here's what I believe this kind of the rubber meets the road in Mary's life. Do you think she had more questions? Uh, yeah. I think she had a lot of questions. You say, well, I don't know. Okay, put yourself in this situation. Would you have any questions? No. I'd be fine. Man, no, we'd have tons of questions. But here's what this phrase means. When she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me, I'm willing to obey. Then she says, according to thy word, God, I don't have to have all the answers. You said it, and I'm gonna follow you. I don't have to know. Listen, in your life and in my life, sometimes God asks us to do things that are not a part of our plan. I'm gonna be very honest with you. Starting a church was never a part of my plan. It never was. I, I loved being on staff. I loved working for my dad. I loved being a youth pastor. I loved being the person that could say, I don't know, go talk to pastor. I love being that guy. Now I have those guys. And it wasn't in my plan to be, it wasn't in my plan to be like, you know, let me help you with that. You did what? Let me help you with that. My plan was, you did what? You really need to see pastor. We laugh, but that's like, listen, that's like the staff's answer to everything at every church. I don't know, see pastor. You did that, see pastor. You got a question about that, see pastor. I'm thankful for a good staff that doesn't do that all the time and, and is able to answer things. They're smarter than I was. I was just like, go see him. I'm going home to lunch. <laughs> Listen, that wasn't necessarily my plan. But I knew in September of 2010 that God was saying to me and my wife, we want you to go. I want you to surrender, step out by faith, and start this church. It wasn't in my plan, but I'm thankful I surrendered. Can I tell you, there's other times in our life, and we all like to, we like to see the good times when we've surrendered, but there's also bad times. There's times when I know God's spoken to me. Hey, would you talk to that person? Oh, I'll do it later. And I make an excuse and walk away from an opportunity. I'm just simply saying, we need to have that willingness to obey and willingness to trust. The trust says, God, I don't have to have all the answers. I surrender to you anyway. Let me just tell you that intentional surrender is raising the white flag in every area of my life. It is quitting the mindset of this is mine. It is quitting the mindset of I know what's best. It's instead, God, I surrender to you through this day. God, I give you my time today. I give you my words today. God, I would like you to use your word to help me know the decisions to make today. God, I surrender. I'm gonna listen to your voice. You see, intentional surrender is, God, I'm gonna follow you through your book. I'm gonna follow your word. I give you my life. But maybe you're here this morning and the area that you need to surrender to God is in the matter of what's called salvation. I wanna ask you a very personal question today before we leave is, do you know 100% that heaven is where you'd spend eternity? Do you know that you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to be your savior? If you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm a good person. I go to church. I've been baptized. What you need to do is surrender trying to get your own way to heaven and understand that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Amen. That he was perfect. He was the son of God. And he loved you and he came to this world and he went to an old rugged cross and he died on the cross for you. No man took his life, he laid it down as a sacrifice for every single human being. And if you're here this morning and you've been trying to work your way to heaven, you need to surrender that thinking to say, God, I realize that you're the only way. And today we would invite you to come and someone will take a Bible, they'll show you how you can know that you're going to heaven. They'll show you how you can have a personal relationship with God. And maybe you're here today and that's the decision you need to make is God, I surrender my thinking about eternity. I surrender to asking Jesus 
to be my Savior. If you do know Christ as your Savior today, what area in your life has God been asking you to surrender and you've been holding back? Maybe today you would say, God, I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to trust. I want intentional surrender to be a part of my everyday Christianity. Lord, I want to thank you for the day, and I pray that you bless the invitation as we come to it. Father, I ask you that you would help us to understand from your word that you desire for us to be involved every day in intentional surrender. I ask you, Lord, that you would help those in here that need to make that decision to be having a willingness to obey or willingness to trust. Father, even in just the smallest of areas, that you would help us with this. And then, Lord, I pray that if there's someone that's here they don't know for certain that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that you'd help them today to come to know you as their personal Savior. And before I close my prayer, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let me just ask you today, are you sure you're going to heaven? If you're here and you'd be honest, Pastor Dennis, I know I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? I know I'm going to heaven. Just right up and right back down. It's, listen, if God spoke to you in your heart about surrender, today won't you come and respond back to him? Give him that area. But then maybe you're here and you'd be honest, Pastor Dennis, I do not know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. I don't know that. Listen, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you by name, but I would like to pray for you. And if that's you today, Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? Because I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. Just slip your hand just right up and right back down. Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know for sure if I died today that I'm going to heaven. And maybe that's you today and you just slipped your hand up or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you don't know that. Can I tell you that God loves you and he wants you to know that. And today could be the day that you receive Jesus into your life. In a moment, we're gonna have what's called an invitation. We invite you to come. Someone will take a Bible and they'll show you what God says about heaven. Lord, as we close our service today and come to our invitation, help us to respond to you. Help those in here that don't know you as Savior, give them courage to come and find out from the word of God how they can know they're going to heaven. Those that do know you, help us to have courage to respond, to be intentionally surrendered this week. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.